Cameron. We'll be in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 today. We're just going to cover the first six verses in chapter 3 this morning. She tends to make you think it'll be a quick one, but anytime I think it's going to be a quick one, it goes on and on. So. And if I say it's going to be a quick one and it's not, then I get yelled at for lying. So, so it's going to be a long one, and if it's short, you'll be happy with me, right? First John chapter 4, I'm sorry, First John chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6, we're looking at the, the thought of beware. Beware, we got a warning here. This is kind of a shift in 1 John, the first uh, three chapters kind of covering that relationship with God. And then the next two chapters are going to cover kind of the looking at the Christian's relationship with the world to some degree and, uh, and kind of the warnings that come with that. We've looked at some warnings already. Uh, but let's look at what we have here. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these verses. And this morning I pray that as we look at them, I would present them clearly and correctly. And I pray that we would understand the warning that is given here to us to, to be careful of the spirit that is out there, that we try them, that we test them, that we uh, fully understand what is right and what is wrong. So lead us today, guide us today, direct us today to truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here the, the warning that is given to us today of watching out for the false prophets. It says in verse 1, believe not every spirit. Uh, here I believe the, the, the speaking of spirit is basically anyone who is uh, claiming to be speaking on behalf of God, uh, claiming that God has spoken to them, those sorts of things. But we've got to watch out for the fakes, for the frauds, for the phonies. Um, well, I've spent some time talking about this in the past, but uh, there are frauds when it comes to Coca-Cola. You have the stereotypical red can that says Coke on it. Then you've got the Big K Cola. And then you've got the Sam's Choice Cola, which I personally like. Uh, and then you've got the, have you ever had Shasta Cola? Oh, it's horrible. It's horrendous. There are people in this world that think Shasta Cola is just as good as Coca-Cola. The reality is, is those people are just as frauds as Shasta Cola is. I mean, it's called Shasta. It basically is telling you you're getting the shaft. Uh, it's, not, it's not worth it, right? There are fakes out there. There are frauds out there. 
And uh, on all those, some imitations or some fakes, I don't mind. Like I said, I, I like Sam's Choice Cola just fine. Uh, but uh, I, I do not like Shasta Cola. Big K, okay, it's all right. But, uh, uh, but uh, it, they're all fakes, right? They are imitations even uh, as well. And that is what God is warning us of here. Basically, watch out for the Shastas. Um, they, they are not good. Now, it's a much more serious thing to be fooled by a, a false prophet or a false message than it is to be fooled by a soda company. I don't know if you've seen, a lot of people now are doing these little videos where they put uh, different kinds of sodas in, in a box with a straw and the people taste it and try to label it, see if they can label it correctly. And I'm always amazed by some of the labels that get put on there. Uh, someone will sip a Coke and go, oh, oh, that's got to be a Diet Dr. Pepper. Like, what, what's wrong with you? Uh, I mean, seriously, how can you be fooled by that? Uh, and they're sitting there mislabeling things, and it, and it blows my mind. I think I'd be great at that. I've never tried it, but, but I'm sure I'd be great at it. Uh, but uh, you have this idea of mislabeling, an idea of misunderstanding, an idea of not knowing what is right. And when it comes to the things of Scripture, and, and you remember this book, First John, was written many years ago. Now, God wrote it. God inspired it. It's applicable to us today just as much as it was applicable to those in the time of John when it was penned. But we have to understand here, as 1 John is written to Christians, this warning is important for us to watch out for the fakes. Watch out for the frauds. And that's what we have there in verse number 1. There, there's a lot of pretenders out there today. A lot of people who claim to have heard from God. Uh, I grew up in the south, of course, in Tennessee, and, and, uh, and there's a lot of over-emotional churchgoers. Um, there are some, I'm sure, in Kentucky, but the further south you go, the more emotional it gets. And uh, you'll get someone to get up to sing a special, and they say, bless God, I just felt like God wanted me to sing this today. And I get that. There are times in my life that I feel that way, too. Or I feel like God wants me to do something and God is, is specifically telling me to do this. I, I, I try not to make fun of that too often, but, but in the South, it's very emotional. Uh, you know, and I just feel like God's told me that I need to go out and tell my coworker that they're the worst person in the world. I'm like, whoa, what? No, 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 that's not what God told you to do. Um, but there is a lot of this feeling of God telling me. But you know what? There are a lot of people in this world that are not going off of feeling even. They're going off of lies. And they stand before people and they say, God has told me to tell you. And it's against what God says. And it's just a lie to try to build some authority underneath their voices. You can think through when you think of people who have claimed to hear from God in the past that have led many people astray. I always go directly to Joseph Smith. He's the founder of the Mormons. Joseph Smith said he was a prophet, and he said that he heard from God, and, and, uh, and he put into place all these other things that he said God told him to do. And he's led thousands of people astray by doing that still to this day, even after he's gone. Uh, I think of, uh, of just crazy stories like David Koresh, who started the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, and he got followers, and he got people to follow him because of the things that he said, uh, that, uh, who he was and who God made him and what God told him. And, and you can, we look at those kinds of things and these cults and we think, boy, that's just silly that people get caught up in that. 
But the reality is, is, is people will follow uh, many weird things, many things that are not right. Today there are false prophets. There are people who are saying, God told me this was fine, even though the Bible tells me it's wrong. And they'll stand and they'll proclaim different things. Uh, I continue just to be baffled by female preachers who will get up and say, yes, I know the Bible says uh, that, that women should not usurp the authority over men in the church and, and, and have this preaching, uh, uh, preaching in the church. And yet here they are preaching and they're saying, but God didn't mean it. And I just sit there and I shake my head and go, what is, why do we so quickly ignore what Scripture says? The world does it all the time, right? Uh, we see it with the lifestyles and the things in society where, they, where we can go to Scripture clearly and say the Bible says do not do this, do not live like this, do not act like this. And they say, well, that's not what it means. Well, that's what it says, so that's what it means. Yet there are people who come alongside or come behind and say, well, God told me. And God says you've got to watch out for those people. They claim that God is telling them to do things that the Scriptures say not to do. And the Bible says here in verse number 1, Believe not every spirit. This is not a, uh, as I know we're in October and getting close to seeing lots of uh, ghost decorations, this is not a spirit. This is, watch out for those who claim to be of God. And it says that, that not every spirit is of God. It says, try, verse number 1, try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He says you need to test every spirit. Try every spirit. You need to hold up anyone who says they are speaking on behalf of God, and you need to test that and make sure it lives up to what the Bible says. Now listen, it says every spirit. And that's why I've always said that you should be able to go to Scripture and take what I say and see that it matches up with Scripture, and it doesn't, you should say something. And you should be able to tell you that with anybody else that you hear saying, I'm preaching the Bible, I'm, this is what God says, this is what uh, God has told me. You better take it to Scripture and make sure it matches up. Why? Because there are many in this world today and in this world in the past who have come forward and said, I'm speaking on behalf of God, and they aren't. And so there's the warning. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Try every spirit make sure they're of God because there are many people out there that are frauds that are phonies that are fakes and you need to make sure that you're careful about this so how do we try the spirits well let's look at that how do we try the spirits first of all we see the marks of false teachers or the marks of false spirits people claiming to be inspired by God one of the marks, and one of the easiest marks to recognize this, is an anti-Bible message, meaning it's against what the Bible says. Uh, look in verse number 2 and verse number 3. It says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come of the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, Whereof ye have heard that it should come, it's even now already in this world. When we think of the Antichrist, we oftentimes think of the book of Revelation, and we think what is coming, that one day there will be someone who will be the Antichrist that will stand and, and, uh, and will fool many, many, many people. 
But the Bible says that the spirit of the Antichrist, the characteristic, the attitude, the heart of the Antichrist, it's already present. It's already working. It's already trying to pull you away from God. And so one of the ways that we can understand or that we can try the Spirit is if the message is anti-Bible. It's against what the Bible says. There is only one truth. There are not multiple truths. Someone who tells you, well, the Bible can say this to you and say this to me doesn't know what they're talking about. Or they're lying to you, one of the two. The Bible is truth. There is one truth. What the Bible says is truth. You either believe and teach truth, or you believe and teach a lie. Here, the the issue that was at hand at this time, so quickly after Jesus Christ had died, was buried, rose again from the dead, ascended back into heaven, was, is Jesus the Christ? Did God come down in the form of man, live, minister, serve, die, was buried, and rose again from the dead, Was Jesus the Christ? Was He the promised Messiah? That was an issue in this early church time where there were people who were still preaching or teaching that the Jesus who died on the cross was not the Christ. He was just a guy. He was was a fraud, many people were saying. And so here the message that's given to us says if, if the person is preaching that Jesus is the Christ, then He's of God. And if he preaches that Jesus is not the Christ, then he is not of God. That's an easy way to know that their message is wrong. And to this day, that's still an easy way to know it. If someone says, well, Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was a great man, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God, then immediately you take everything that person says and you flush it down the toilet. Because that's where it belongs, in the sewer. It is not worth your time to listen. It is not worth your time to hear. They have no truth in them. They are not of God. Get rid of them. Jesus came in the flesh. How do we know that? The Bible tells us that many times over. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, give us the life of Christ from birth to, to ascension. And we can see all that went on. But many times throughout Scripture, it talks about Christ being made manifest, coming in the flesh humbling self and becoming as a man. And we see that throughout Scripture. Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ came as a man. Jesus Christ was God. And anyone who says otherwise, you need to get rid of anything they're saying because they don't know what they're talking about. An anti-Bible message is there, but what else? What do they say about what God said? Not just what do they say about who God is or who Christ is, but what do they say about what God said? If God says, thou shalt not, and they say, no, it's okay. Get rid of that person. Throw out all their teachings. They don't know what they're talking about. Or they're lying to you, one of the two. And it's a way to test. It's a way to try the Spirit. Are they against what God says? And I'm telling you, we're seeing this so prevalent right now in our time where people will take a lifestyle that is wicked, that is immoral, that is ungodly, and they'll say, it's okay to do this. It's okay to live this way. But clearly in Scripture, in both the Old and the New Testament, the Bible clearly states it's an abomination in God's eyes. It's not okay. And we cannot accept it. We cannot be okay with it. And anybody who claims to be speaking on God's behalf and says it's okay, 
They're wrong. They're not of God. They're of the spirit of error. They're of Satan. And I know that's a strong statement. But if they're, if they're proclaiming truth, but what they're saying is a lie, you got to get rid of them. You cannot listen to them. You have to be so aware of them that you cannot fall under the, the guise that they are trying to give to you. One of the easiest ways to understand or try the Spirit is to see what their Bible message is about. Is it anti-Bible? Is it against what the Bible says? Or does it match up with the Bible? The Bible is the mirror. The Bible is, is the, the, the litmus test. The Bible is everything for us to go to it and say, is what they're saying matching up with Scripture says? And if it does not, kick them out the door and move on. Go to somebody else. What is their message? Uh, number two, not just an anti-Bible message, but how about an avoiding Bible message where they try to avoid what the Bible says, where they just kind of skirt around things. Well, what is an avoiding Bible message? The focus is on their life, their opinions, or their feelings. You'll be sitting there listening to someone preach or teach, and if you hear all the time their opinion. If you hear all the time, their feelings. This is a conversation I have with so many people when we're talking about the Bible, and I hear this so oftentimes where they say, well, I feel like... Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't care. Right? I, feelings. Feelings. Now listen, I know we like to make fun of sometimes the snowflake era and, and uh, the feelings that are hurt all the time and things like that. When it comes to Scripture, it's not about feelings. You're allowed to have feelings. There's nothing wrong with having feelings. But when you base scriptural knowledge or when you base truth off of your feelings, well, I don't feel like God would do that. Okay, what does the Bible say? <laughs> well, I don't feel like God would send people to hell. Well, I would argue He doesn't send people to hell. He provides an opportunity to avoid hell. Well, I don't feel like... Well, the Bible says there is a hell. And the Bible says that, that we are destined for it unless we receive Jesus Christ. Well, I don't feel like a loving God would. The Bible says this is the way it is. If you don't believe it now, you'll believe it soon enough. The question is, will it be too late? We read the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus heard the teachings of the Old Testament. He heard the teachings of Moses. He knew the teachings of Moses. Yet when he died, he went to hell. And he lifted up his eyes in hell. And he first of all begged for some relief, which he did not get. And then he says, would you send Lazarus to my family? Because he died too, but he went to heaven. Would you send him to my family to tell them? And, and the rich man in hell was told, you were told and you didn't believe. And if Lazarus came back to your family, they wouldn't believe either. And we'll sit there and we'll read Scripture and we'll go, you know what, I just don't feel like God would, uh, a loving God would send people to hell. Listen, God made hell for sin, for ultimate punishment. And God sent His Son Jesus because He loved you to come to this earth and die on the cross for your sins. And He rose victoriously from the dead so that you don't have to go to hell. 
But if you don't believe that there's a hell, then you don't believe the Bible. And if someone is preaching that there's no hell, they are wrong. And you should not listen to them. They're avoiding what the Bible says. And there's so many other things in this world today where people go, uh, you know, well, off, based off of my life. No, it's not based off of my life. It's based off the Bible. Well, my opinion is, I don't care what your opinion is. What does the Bible say? Well, I feel like it doesn't matter what you feel like. See, the problem is, is they're basing their authority off the wrong thing. They're basing their authority off of society. What society is encouraging them to do. Well, society wants me to preach this message, so I'm going to preach this message. I, I don't... There are times in my 11 years of pastoring, 12 years of pastoring, however long it's been, where I have felt like, okay, man, my last four or five messages have been pretty rough. <laughs> They've been kind of hard. And so I'll, I'll go with a lighter message the next time. Or times where I felt like I've kind of been light a couple times in a row and it's, time to, it's kind of time to dig a little deeper, hit a little harder. And, and so there is, there is just, I think, uh, God's leading in that. But, uh, but nonetheless, you come to this point. But, but if you're preaching, I've had people tell me, you need to preach on this. It's not, an, it's not a question. It's, you know, it's not an opinion. It's just a, you need to do this. You need to preach on this. And I go, well, I'll pray about it. <laughs> but... But I'm not going to preach on it just because you tell me I need to preach on it. Um, you know, and well, you need to spend more time on this. You need to do more about this. Listen, I, I preach what I believe God wants me to preach. I, I, you know, I ask for ideas if people want to give me topical ideas and things like that. I, I'm fine to pray over that and, and try to preach on that because my job is to preach the whole scripture. So I got to get to it at some point in time. Uh, so just when is the, the question, right? So we'll pray about it and do it. But, but it's not a, I, don't, I don't preach off of a demand. Um, you know, I get, I get, uh, I don't know if mock's the right word, but I get ridiculed sometimes for, uh, not going topical based off of a holiday or something like that. Um, and there are times I do, but you know, it's Mother's Day, preach on mothers. Uh, you know, well, I'm not a mom and, uh, uh, we can, we can tie it in somehow or another, or it's whatever, you know, it's not a big deal. It's, it's not the end of the world. It's what it is. So there are times where we do those kinds of things. But society should not be the authority behind what we're preaching. If you're preaching based on society wants this, society says this, and so I'm going to avoid the scriptures to preach a topic that society wants to hear that's unbiblical. I'm going to avoid what the Bible says on it, but I know people are going to like it. And so I'm going to preach on that. Society becomes my authority. Uh, feelings are oftentimes, will, will, if you listen to some of the preachers out there in this world, their, their authority is their feelings or popular opinion, whatever it may be, their authority is wrong. And man, the world will eat it up. It says there in verse... Um, <laughs> oh, we'll come to that in a second, but uh, it's in verse 5. They're, they are the, of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We're going to cover that verse more in a moment. John fifteen nineteen says, If ye are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You see, our authority is not based on anything in this world. And if we are of the world, if we're preaching a worldly authority, the world's going to love us. Now, I don't think that every large church is, is wrong. 
don't think there's anything wrong necessarily of having a large church. But I think sometimes we'll look at a large church and think, boy, they have grown. They must be doing something right. We have to be careful because the Bible tells us that we're, if we're like the world, then the world's going to like us. But the Bible tells us in multiple places the world hates God. And if you're doing things the way that God does things, you're not going to be loved by the world. As a matter of fact, the world's going to hate you. And so I question sometimes with the churches that go to match the world. I don't question it. I know it's wrong. Not every large church does this, okay? I'm not saying every large church does this. But there are churches that go the way of the world. And they do things that they know the world's going to like. And the world likes it. Well, the Bible tells me that something's wrong. If the world is applauding you, you're probably doing something wrong. Because the world loves its own. And it hates God. So we're going to try the spirits. We've got to look at this and see, okay, is the world loving it? It means we're probably avoiding the Bible. We're probably skirting around things the Bible says. We're probably trying to avoid things within Scripture so that we don't upset anybody. And now our authority is off. We have to be careful for the marks of these false teachers to pay attention to anti-Bible messages and to avoiding Bible messages. And that brings us to our last point this morning, the marks of true teachers. So how do we know what is right? We know what is wrong by by the anti-Bible or the avoiding Bible messages. How do we know what is right? Uh, It's the exact contrast, right? Verse number 6, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. They are the opposites. They are two different things. Uh, the, The marks of true teachers, number one, is their authority. What is their authority? The Bible says in verse number six there, we are of God. God is our authority. One of the characteristics of a Baptist is that God is the authority of the church and the sole authority of the church. That doesn't make all Baptists right, uh, but that is one of the main reasons we are Baptists. And here we have an important reminder that our authority is in God. So we do what God tells us to do. We follow what God has directed for us to do because we are of God. A true teacher is of God. Therefore, their authority is God. They're not preaching on their life. They may use illustrations. That's fine. They're not preaching on their opinions. They're using the authority of Scripture. They're not preaching on their feelings. They're using the authority of Scripture. Do you know how many times you don't? Uh, That's a rhetorical question. Do you know how many times I have been preaching a message and I am reading a verse in the middle of a message, one that I've prepared, one that I've typed up, one that is ready to go, that has been prayed over, and I'm in the middle of a sermon and I'm reading a verse and all of a sudden God just stabs me in the heart and goes, that's you. Man, and I'll just be sitting there preaching and all of a sudden I'll, I'll be sitting here reading and in my mind I'm thinking, oh my goodness. That's right at me. You know how hard it is to preach and pray at the same time saying, God, forgive me? That's a very conflicting feeling. 
but it happens. And we're sitting here. Why? It's because this book, and I use that word loosely, is my authority. And as I read it, and as I hear it, and as I study it, it teaches and it guides and it directs. And as a proclaimer of God's Word, not just a pastor, we should all be proclaimers of God's Word. As a proclaimer of God's Word, my message should be based off of Scripture and God's authority. I will not argue with people about so many things that Christians will typically argue with people about because at the end of the day, some of it is left up to principle that we, that we learn in the Scripture versus black and white in the Scripture. If I have someone who disagrees with me on a standard in my life, I'm not going to argue with them about it if they're different than me. I'm going to say, if you can show me from the Bible, and if you have prayed about it and God has told it to you, then you go for it. But I have this standard because here's what I've gotten out of the Bible and here's what I've heard from God on when I've prayed and asked Him, what do you want me to do? And I've had to grow in this. This, is a, this has been a huge growing area in my life. Uh, I grew up, and, and as the older I got, the more I realized that not everything that my pastor did, I had to do. That doesn't mean that if one thing I disagreed with my pastor on, that meant everything else was thrown out. As long as my pastor had a reason for why he did it that was biblical and prayer, prayed through, great. Same for me. Now, sometimes we take that so-called liberty and run with it. We say, well, pastor said I don't have to be like him. No, you don't. You have to be like God. Why? Because God is your authority. So you follow God with what He says to you, what He tells you in Scripture what is truth, and what He tells you when you pray to Him, because He is your authority. The marks of a true, true teacher is, first off, the authority that they have. If they get up and they hold up God's Word and they preach to you out of God's Word or they teach you out of God's Word and they're reading Scripture and what they say then after they read the Scripture matches up with what the Scripture says, that means their authority is here. I've been around enough preachers in my life. I, I've seen it too many times where a preacher will say, Go open up your Bible to whatever passage. And he reads the passage, and then he prays, and then he goes on for an hour and never brings up Scripture again. It's not that everything that he says is wrong, but I'm sitting here going, where's your authority? And again, the further south you go, the more amens you get. And sometimes you get a preacher who's just searching for the amens versus actually just speaking on authority from God the truth in scriptures. If you're in a church, our church is not an amen church, and, and it's okay if you want to be, go for it. Uh, it lets me know that you're awake. But, um, but, uh, but the first, I'm telling you, the further south you go, the more amens there are. And then with that comes sometimes that, that uh, it's easy to get an amen. In an amen church, it's easy to get an amen. God's good. See, our church doesn't do it. Uh, but... <laughs> It happens. I mean, it's so easy. Oh, biscuits and gravy, aren't they great? Amen. What? Who cares? How does that help me? How does that draw me closer to God? It doesn't. We have to make sure that we're using the authority that we're given, and we're given the authority 
of God. We use God's authority to proclaim the message of God's Word. The marks of a true teacher, number one, their authority. Number two, their focus. Their focus. Their focus is on their relationship with God. It's on the relationship with God. We are of God. He that knoweth us, uh, knoweth God, heareth us. Uh, verse number three, every spirit, uh, excuse me, verse number two, uh, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. We have to understand that the, the, the focus is, 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 is God. What's the focus of the message? Is it be more like the preacher? That's not good. And listen, there are churches today where the preacher will promote himself. I, I, I. I probably shouldn't bring this name into a sermon, but anytime I listened to our previous president speak, there was, I did this, I did that. And every time I just shook my head. But you know what? That's politics. When we get to the things of Scripture, it shouldn't be I, I, I. I led 23 people to the Lord this week. Uh, it's great that you're sharing the gospel. Seems a little proud. I did this. I cleaned. I served. I taught. I whatever. And the focus is on me. It's not on God. You want to test the spirits and you want to see what is truth. You look at the focus of the message, it should be on God and our relationship with God. Bringing people into a closer relationship with God. And then look at verse number 4. What a great verse. It says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Instead of being overcome, instead of being taken into spiritual bondage, we, those of, of us that are of God, we have overcome. We've overcome that spirit. We've overcome that temptation. We've overcome that battle. We've overcome the flesh. Why? Because greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Who is he that is in the world? It's Satan. And the Bible says he's like a roaring lion and he's creeping around and he's, he's on the prowl and he's seeking whom he may, the Bible says, devour, destroy, rip apart. That's who's in the world. And he's looking for you and he's hunting for you. But the Bible says that we, the children of God, we, those of us that are of God, we have overcome because greater is He that is in us than that wily old devil that's in the world. We don't overcome because we're wise. We don't overcome because we're knowledgeable. We don't overcome because we came to church. We don't overcome uh, because we're old. We don't overcome because we're experienced. We don't overcome because we feel right. We overcome because God is in us. And God is the one that overcomes. John 16, He says, in this world, you're going to have trials. I'm paraphrasing. He says, but be of good cheer. I, God, have overcome the world. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. 
you want to find the marks of a, of, of a true teacher, you find someone who overcomes. Because there's something greater in them than what's in this world. There are people, so-called preachers, that you can look at and you can look at their life and you can see how greed has grabbed a hold of their life. They haven't overcome. You can see how pride, their need to be applauded, their need to be recognized has overtaken them. They haven't overcome. And listen, I, I mean, I can, I can call out names of, of people that, that I don't like and, and people that I, I think you should stay far, far, far away from. And the reality is, is there's people awfully close to us that fall in the same category. Where this morning, they're not overcoming because they're, they're, they're going off their own power and their own authority and their own wisdom instead of God's. And they're not depending on that which is in them. And they won't overcome. But when we're dependent on the authority that God has, God's authority, and when our focus is on God and our relationship with Him, instead of being overcome, instead of being captured, instead of being devoured, we can overcome because God who is in us is greater than Him who is in the world. And by the way, God may be the only one. Satan is powerful. Sometimes because we dress Satan up in a red suit with a pitchfork and a tail, we see him in a cartoon, we don't take Satan seriously enough. He is dangerous. He is powerful. He is influential. That's why you can't overcome. But God can. You should be someone who is a true teacher if you're of God. If you've been saved, if there's been a time in your life where you said, God, I'm a sinner, I know I deserve hell, but by faith I believe that Jesus died for me and that Jesus became victorious for me, so God saved me. If you've ever done that, then this morning you ought to be someone who is defined by truth. You ought to be a true teacher. You ought to be using the authority of God in how you proclaim God's messages. You ought to be focused on God as your priority and your relationship with God. And you should be overcoming because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. But if you're here this morning and there's never been a time in your life where you've, you've looked to God and you've asked Him for salvation, if there's never been a moment in your life where you said, God, and not, not word for word, right? But if you haven't said, God, I'm a sinner, I deserve hell. Jesus saved me, He came to save me. God, uh, I am by faith accepting Your grace. God, save me. If you've never done that, then this morning you don't have something in you that's greater than He that is in the world. And you will not overcome. But today you can change that. Today where you sit, you can call on God. And you can say, God, save me. And God says, I will. 
When Christ was nailed to the cross, there were two thieves, one on each side. One of them said, if you're really the God, take yourself and us off the cross. And the other one said, I'm paraphrasing again, I'm not worthy. God, would you remember me? And Jesus said, consider you remembered. And this day, today, that thief is in heaven. And the other thief is in hell. And the reality is, is in this room today, you may have fooled other people. But you cannot overcome unless you've got something greater inside of you. And until you take the time to call on God, your destination is hell. Well, I don't feel like the Bible says it. This is not my message. This is not my opinion. This is what the Bible teaches us. Call on God. He'll save you. If you don't call on God, hell is your eternal home. If you want to overcome, you need something greater than yourself. If you're going to present truth, you need something greater than yourself. Some people think, boy, it'd be fun to stand up in front of a crowd and, and, and preach. And, and I love doing it, don't get me wrong. But I'll tell you what, if you get up and preach on your own power, it, it, it does nothing. Mom might be proud. She will be. Grandma might be proud. She will be. But if you're just getting up there and just spouting off words in your own power, it does nothing. We have an authority, and we should use it. We use the authority of God's Word. This morning, beware. Be careful who you read. Be careful who you listen to. Try it. Hold it up to the God's Word. Is it actually true? If it doesn't match up with Scripture, get rid of it. It's going to hurt you. It's going to bring you down because it's not of God. And if it is of God, claim it. Hold to it. Follow truth. Understand what the, the uh, marks of a false teacher is. Understand what the marks of a true teacher is. And get rid of the false and hold on to the true. And use God that is within you, if He is in you. And if He's not, today's the day. Today's the day to call on God. Can we pray? Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your warning. God, thank You for, for loving us enough to teach us what is right and wrong. Thank You for giving us the examples. Thank You for telling us what to watch out for. And Lord, I pray that today we would hold the teachers uh, that, that we allow to influence our life up to Scripture. And may we try them to see if they are right or wrong, to see if they are of God or of error. Lord, help us to show forth the marks of a true teacher. Help us to use your authority. God, help us to overcome. And I pray this morning if there's someone who cannot overcome because they don't have something greater within them, Lord, I pray that today they would call on you and they'd be saved. Lord, help us today, I do pray in Jesus' name. With our heads back after number four.
And I want us to look at the idea of a life of love. It's interesting how 1 John, we talk about fellowship with God, relationship with God, um, how the Christian is supposed to interact with God, how the Christian is supposed to uh, interact with the world to some degree, um, and the relationship, I guess, with the world. And consistently, though, throughout the book of 1 John comes up the topic of love, um, which is, it shouldn't be surprising, right? I mean, God said it's one of the, the greatest commandments out there, to love God and to love your neighbor. So it shouldn't be surprising that it comes up in a book or a letter written to Christians on how a Christian is supposed to live, that love continually comes up. And we've talked about it a lot in, in our church about what that means, how to love the way that God wants us to love. Because the world's definition of love is different than the Bible's definition of love. But at the same time, the world has it right, I think, oftentimes in accusing many Christians of not loving the way the Bible tells us to love. Now, they're still wrong in what they mean by that, but they're not wrong oftentimes in the fact that we are not loving people the way that God intends for us to. We get kind of in this, this mindset or this mentality of, well, we are better than them. Well, that's, that's not true. Um, we are created equal. We are filthy, just like they are. The difference may be the fact that we've understood our filthiness and we've asked God to forgive us and to save us. But that doesn't change the fact that God still loves them as much as God loves me. And it doesn't change the fact that I'm supposed to love them as much as God loves them. But of course, this book, written to Christians, telling us how to live this life of love. And so today I'd like us to see three things. An example of love, a mirrored life of love, and an ultimatum of love. Let's look as a text, starting in verse number 7. The Bible says, Beloved, which is interesting, isn't it? We are loved, beloved, beloved of God, beloved. Let us love one another, Christian to Christian. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth knoweth not, uh, excuse me, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We'll look at all of verse 4 this morning, but this is a great way to jump off uh, here this morning. Again, we're looking at loving in this situation, loving our brothers, loving our sisters, loving fellow Christians. And uh, I'm excited about what God has for us. Let's ask Him for His help. Lord, thank You for letting us come again today. Thank You for Your Word and what it teaches us. And Lord, I pray that You'd help us today. I pray that You'd help us to be reminded of Your love for us. And Lord, I pray that You would grow our love for each other. And so, Lord, I pray that as I present these verses, that I would do so clearly and that I do so correctly. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here in these, these first three verses, four verses of this passage, uh, an example of love given to us. An example of love given to us. And we see uh, here as it talks about in verse number um, 8, it says, God is love. It reminds me of John 1.1 1, 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God, Jesus, uh, however you want to spell it, was the Word, is the Word. And it was from the beginning, and it still exists to this day. 
And the same is true, not only was God the Word, or is the Word, but God is love, and He always has been. From the beginning of time, God is, or was, uh, love. God will be love. God is characterized by His love. If you grew up in church, you grew up in a church that probably leaned one direction or the other. One was uh, where the focus was on the judgment of God, and the other one is where the focus is on the love of God. And if you were fortunate enough to grow up in a balanced church, you heard both. Uh, but a lot of people who run from Christianity, if I can use that word, uh, or religion, whatever it may be, where they run from it is because a lot of times all they heard about was the aspect of God's judgment. That's not the only reason. There's a lot of reasons why people run from God. Um, but in my life, the way that I grew up in the church that I grew up in or churches I grew up in, the people that I know that kind of got away from God or ran away from God, one of the, uh, the most common reasons why is they just got tired of hearing about judgment, 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 judgment. God is a God of judgment. He's just. He's perfect. And so he judges sin because he's perfect. But God is so much more than a judge judging God. And when I say judgy, that sounds bad, right? Because we use that word in a very negative context. So you're very judgy. You're judging me. You're not supposed to judge me. You don't know me. Um, all those kinds of things. But, but God, He does judge. He judges perfectly, justly, righteously. He is responsible, because He is perfect, to judge uh, uh, unperfectness. That's not a word. Unrighteousness. Uh, sin. And so He does so. But... God is not characterized by His judging. He's characterized by His love. It's because God loves us that God gives us the opportunity to avoid the ultimate judgment for our sin. And it's because of that love that Jesus came to earth. It's because of that love that God sent His Son to the earth to die for me because God loved me, because God is love. It's the reason why Jesus died on the cross for you. It's because God loves you. God is the epitome of love. There is no better example in all of time than God when it comes to love and how we should love. But I think how we should love gets talked about a fair amount, at least at our church. But why do we love? That might be more important than how we love. If we understand why we love, we're better, we're more likely to love, I'm sorry for you grammar teachers out there today, it's not going to be a good day for you. Um, it, it's, it's why do we love? Because if we know why we love, then we are better at loving the way God wants us to love. So why do we love? Well, we love because love is of God. Love is of God. It says in verse number 7, Beloved, that means we are loved of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Well, why do we love? Well, because we are of God. And if we are of God and love is of God, then we should be loving also. If you're saved today, that's the, the term that, that we use uh, when you put your faith in the saving grace of God to save you. If you are saved today, you are now of God. And your life should represent that. We talked about it, or, or, and I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, whenever it was, but uh, about the importance of if you grew up in a home that was proud of their name, wanted to maintain a good, good name. Uh, so in my, my home, you know, dad would say, you're a stover. I tell my kids this too. 
There are certain things stovers do, and there are certain things stovers don't do. Most importantly, stovers don't run. Ever. Uh, we run when it's necessary. If there's a bear chasing us, we run. If we're playing a game that involves running, we run. Uh, if, if we're doing something leisurely, we're not running. It's just not going to happen. Stovers don't do that. Stovers don't hike. Are you catching the trend here? Um, <laughs> stovers don't hike. My dad always said, uh, Mr. Stover, would you like to go on a hike? He said, oh, something came up, the humidity. Um, and so stovers don't hike. I, I learned some valuable things from my dad. Um, there are certain things stovers don't do. Uh, I tell my kids, you know, stovers, stovers, we don't lie. Stovers aren't late. Um, we just, there are things about a, a stover that characterize stovers, and we want to keep that characterization of stovers. And there are things that we want to make sure that we do because being part of this family that God put, put us in, um, we want to make sure we uphold a good name uh, for, for our name to carry on. And the, when you think about the things of God, it is so much more important than the stover name. Uh, being of God means that, that my life should be characterized in a way that represents God perfectly. And so if I'm of God and love is of God, then I should love. Because love is of God and I'm of God. Because of our relationship, because of our fellowship that we talked about in chapter 1, because of our fellowship with God, our relationship with God is another reason why we should love, right? Verse number 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Now again, that's talking about that relationship, that fellowship, that perfectness with God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So meaning that because I am of God... Because if my relationship is, is right with God, then I'm going to be loving. Why should I love? I should be loving because I want the right relationship with God. Because I want that fellowship open with God. Uh, so many Christians, young Christians, old Christians, it doesn't matter, I guess, but uh, I see it more often in young Christians. They don't have a, 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 the right fellowship with God. Uh, kids, teenagers, young adults, and I think the older we get, the more it makes it somewhat easier in some ways. But uh, I, I recognize it a lot in younger Christians where they're sitting there and they, just, they don't have fellowship with God. They're not praying like they're supposed to. They're not reading their Bible like they're supposed to. Um, you know, and, 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 and there's just not that fellowship with God. And so there is the, an attitude towards other people that is not right. They don't love people. They want to be liked, or they want to be cool. I, I don't know if they still use that word or not. Uh, they want to be hip. I, no, I don't think they use that word at all. But uh, they, want to, they want to be in, right? They want to fit in. And so in order to fit in, you've got to pick on somebody. Now, in my family, this is partly my fault, because I pick on everybody. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get better at that. Thank you, Lord. Um, uh, but to, to fit in, right, you've got to pick out the weakling and pick on them. I sound loving people. Uh, I'm coaching basketball now, and, and, and I, I try. I've got four captains on our team, and, uh, and I've talked with them about, you know, hey, there's people that kind of, they go sit on their own. Every practice, they're kind of standing by themselves. They're, they're not being a part of the team. I said, it's your guys' responsibility to go bring them in. You're, you're the leaders, so you've got to go out and get them. You can't just expect them to jump in. You need to go out and find them, have them sit next to you, talk to them, laugh with them, you know, make them part of the team, make them feel part of the team. Um, it is, a, it is a, a very light illustration of love, but that's what we are to do. We aren't to go out and pick, pick on the people. We're supposed to go out and love the people. 
We're supposed to go over and bring them in. We're supposed to uh, go in and gather them. We're supposed to show them God's love uh, by loving them the way that God loved us and helping them see that God loves them too. It's because of our relationship with God. If I want the right relationship with God, then I have to love other people. So why do we love? We love because love is of God. We love because of our relationship with God, and we love because God loved me. Verse number 9 and verse number 10, in, in this was manifested in the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, the world, remember, which John 3.16 tells us He loved, uh, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation, to take our place, to take that punishment for our sins. So I love because God loves me. It's interesting because, first of all, we know that, that I, I'll not match that love. I can try and I can strive, but I'm not going to match the love that God has for me. That's because God knows everything about me and He still loves me. I can know a lot about you and I can love you, but I'm not going to know everything about you. There are things that you might tell me, and, and, and I've told you this before as a pastor, uh, in the workplace, I'll have coworkers tell me things because I'm a pastor. I'll have customers tell me things because they find out I'm a pastor. And it's like they're confessing to me. And I'm like, whoa, you know, I don't need to know any of that. That is, uh, that is not important for me to know. And, uh, and I hear things, and I wish I didn't sometimes. And I know some of, some of those secrets. I might know some of the things that you shared with me that not everybody else knows, whatever. But I don't know everything about you, and you don't know everything about me. That makes it easier to love someone you don't know everything about them. God knows everything about me, and He still loves me. God knows everything about you, and He still loves you. Isn't that amazing? But what's important to understand about a life of love is it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about God. It says there in verse, verse number 10, uh, here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Just like everything else in the Christian life, it's not about you. A Christian life is not centered around you. You living right, you living perfectly, you living justly, you living godly, it's not about you. It's about God. And if God's not the priority, if God's not the focal point, you're not going to live a life of love. Because it's not about you loving God, it's about God loving you. And by the way, that's a very freeing thought. The fact that it's not about me and that it's all about Him. And now my life can be lived freely under the love of God. And now I have the freedom to go and love other people because God loved me. And that's what it's all about, a life of love. And we use the example of love given to us by God and His love for us. Number two this morning, I want us to see a mirrored life of love. Meaning, if God loves me, then I need to mirror that, that example that we're given. If God loves me, I really don't have an excuse to not love other people. Verse number 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now again, a letter written to Christians. So we're talking Christian to Christian here, not Christian to the world, although the Bible's very clear that we are to love our neighbors, uh, those in the world as well. But here we're talking specifically Christian to Christian. 
And he says, beloved, again, reminding, and that's the way I take it at least, reminding me you are loved of God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And it really goes in that same mindset. God knows everything about me. God God knows my, my deepest, darkest secrets. He knows the sins that I committed when I was a young child to the sins I committed this morning. God knows everything about me and he still loves me. So Vince, that's me, uh, if God loved you, you ought also to love them. Some of you are hard to love. Did you know that? (laughs) You're probably thinking, yes, Pastor, you're hard to love too. Uh, The difference is I get it. (laughs) I know I'm hard to love. My wife has told me for many, many years. Um, I'm kidding. She... She didn't say that very often. Um, if God loves me, I ought to love you. And if God loves you, you ought to love me. Hi, dear. Sorry. Uh, she's watching through the window. Uh, <clears throat> it's a mirrored life. I mirror the love that God gives me to others. I, I mirror it to God and how I love Him. And I mirror it to you. I'm supposed to uh, the same way that God loves me. It's important because as Christians, especially as, uh, I'll use the word mature Christian, Christian meaning uh, not necessarily old people, but those who have learned and grown in the Bible. All right, We are responsible to be an example to others. The Bible says that the older to teach the younger. And it's not always an age thing, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Bible thing. And we see here where we come in now that that others are going to see God through the way that I live, positively or negatively. Look in verse number 12. It says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected, fulfilled, completed in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us His Spirit. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we know, excuse me, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So we're looking again at what God has done for us, right? And again, reminding us, First of all, who is one another? Who is the, the brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, it's, it's, it's really fairly simple. Uh, verse 15, Whosoever confesseth, or whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Uh, the brother and sister in Christ is those who have been saved. Again, I use that word, and I grew up in church, and I apologize if that's not a common term. Those who have been saved. By saved, again, what do we mean? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans, Romans 3.23, For all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. Because of sin, we all fall short. Not a single person in this world who is qualified for heaven. We all fall short. And the Bible says that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, is death, eternal separation from God. We're going to look at that in the afternoon service when we look at Adam and Eve today. Uh, but is, is, is death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, it's, it's life eternal with God. And as opposed to eternal separation, it's eternal fellowship. It's, eternal, it's eternity with God. Uh, it says that God commendeth His love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ still died for us. God knowing that I'm a sinner. Christ knowing that, that, that I'm filthy. He still died for me. And then the Bible says that whosoever, any person who calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If you say, God, save me. God says, yes. I've met so many people who said, but you don't understand the life that I've lived. And I say, I don't need to understand the life that you lived. God understands it. And God says if you call on Him, He'll save you. God is not a God of rejection. God is a God that fulfills His promise. He's a God that does not lie. And He said, you're a sinner and you deserve hell. But I loved you, and so I sent my Son to die for you. And He rose again from the dead, becoming victorious over that sin and over death. And he says, if you'll call on me, I will save you. And anyone who's done that is of God. They have God dwelling within them. All right, so that's who our, our brother and sister is. That's who the one another is as well. But we see now we have to testify of God. We have to show other people about God. And in verse 16 says, We've known, We have known and believed the love of God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in Him. Now again, that goes right back to chapter 1, the fellowship with God, the fellowship that God wants us to have, the fellowship that God desires for us to have, the fellowship that God has made for us to have, we can have if what? We dwell in love. As it says earlier in the book, if we keep His commandments. His commandment is to love one another. If we obey God, then we are in fellowship with God. It's not about uh, whether or not we are saved or not at this point. We're talking to Christians in 1 John. So we're talking to saved people. It's about maintaining the fellowship with God. Being connected with God. And I cannot be connected with God if I don't love. And there's so many times we'll look at other people and we'll say, I, I just, I don't love that person. There's nothing about that person that's lovable. Whether it's coworkers, sometimes it's family members, past friends, neighbors, whatever it may be. We come across people, politicians, we come across people that we go, I don't like that person, I don't love that person, I hate that person, whatever it may be. Now, first John's talking about Christian to Christian, but, it, but the rest of the Bible tells us and teaches us we have to love them too. And if I'm not loving people, then I'm not dwelling with God and God's not dwelling with me. Again, it's not that I lose my salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. It's my fellowship. My relationship with God is broken. It's hindered when I don't love. And if I don't love biblically, let's make sure we had that word in there, right? Don't love biblically. The way that God desires for me to love. I'm supposed to mirror that love gave to me, that God gave to me, for other people. God loves me, so I'm mirrored in my life by my love for others. It's going to bring things into my life. It's going to bring confidence. Look at verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect. Again, that's completed, fulfilled, satisfied, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Loving others the way that God loves me is going to bring a confidence or a boldness in my life. There, you can read uh, a, a million different missionary stories of people who went in. Go, go read um, uh, about uh, read Elizabeth Elliot's stuff. She has some great stuff out there. And understand that, that by loving other people, 
brings the confidence, and we'll get to this in just a second, but confidence to continue loving people. There is, um, uh, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, so we'll get to that in just a second. Let's, let's move on, we'll get to it. Um, look in verse number 18. Fear and love don't mix. So that boldness and that confidence comes by love. Uh, fear and confidence, or fear and love, excuse me, don't mix. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. Now listen. I believe the Bible to be true. I believe it to be God's Word. The Bible says that all of it is inspired by God. So I believe in, in inspiration of the Bible. I believe it is God's Word. And I don't believe that God lies. I believe that everything that God says is true. It says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. I will explain that in just a second. But perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. My fear of deserved punishment means that I don't believe the love of God. We have a hard time comprehending everything about the love of God because it is perfect and we just, we're not perfect. And so we struggle sometimes with realizing how God can love me in spite of me or how God can love someone else in spite of them sometimes. We go, there's no way that God can love that person. But what it comes down to is a fear of deserved punishment. I deserve uh, nothing that God gives me. I don't deserve the mercy and the grace that God gives me. I don't deserve the love that God gives me. And so oftentimes, a Christian can live in fear of what they deserve versus in the perfected love that God offers. And we struggle with that sometimes. Fear makes us a slave. Love provides freedom. If you think back, and if you've read or, or, or seen anything about slaves in the past, basically a slave would live in constant fear because a slave at any moment could be punished whether they did right or wrong. At any moment, and on a bad day, I mean, you have a boss, or most of you do, and you know if your boss is having a bad day, you know what to do. At least I do. I stay clear. If I walk into work and my boss is having a bad day, you know what I do? See you later. And I go on my way and go do my job, and I try to avoid him at all costs. This is just not worth it. <laughs> a slave couldn't do that. And so a slave lived in constant fear. At any moment, they could be beaten in some cases, killed. Not for anything necessarily that they did. It was just it was a constant life of fear. And that's exactly what happens for Christians many times as well. Fear makes us a slave. Where we're constantly afraid of what God is going to do to me. Or what's going to be the outcome of this situation. Or if I, if I love this person, what will these people think? How scary is it that as grown adults, we care about what other people think if we do right or not? If I love this person, well, then these, my friends, they won't want to have us over anymore. They, they'll think that we've gone off the deep end or they're going to whatever. Okay, well, what does God think? It's not about you. It's about God. Sometimes we won't love people for fear of what they'll do to us. Now listen, I'm not saying be stupid. 
I'm not saying walk down a dark alley in New York City at, at 3 o'clock in the morning, all right, to love, to love someone over there. I, that's not what I'm saying. But a lot of times we won't love people for fear of the outcome. Well, if I love them and I put uh, uh, my love into them and ultimately they reject it, then how much time did I waste? Now, I'll tell you, as a pastor, that's a big battle that I face. There are times where I sit there and I, I just say, you know what, what's the point of pouring into these people? They're, they're going to be gone in a month or two. I can tell because I've seen it before. Well, that's the wrong attitude to have. That's not loving people. Fear makes us a slave, but love gives us freedom. Loving people the way that God loves me gives me the freedom to live my life trusting that God's going to take care of it. And so here I go. I go and love these people, and whatever happens, happens, but I'm free to love them because God loves me. Now think about this for a moment. If God thought the way that we think, <laughs> and Jesus comes to earth, and he grows up, in Mary and Joseph's house with his brothers and sisters and his cousins and all these people in the neighborhood. And he's getting older and he's getting older and he said, okay, so I'm here for the purpose of dying. That's the whole reason Jesus came to earth. I'm here to die and I'm here to die for these people. Remember, his own people, the people of Nazareth, rejected him. He said, no, you're the carpenter's son. You're not God. If Jesus thought the way that we think, I'm not going to love these people because they're going to nail me to a cross. Think about that for a second. Jesus loved the people, the soldiers, the politicians, the, the hypocrites, the people who were out to get him for years, knowing what they were going to do to him. He still loved them. You see, it's a mirrored life of love. I'm supposed to mirror that. I can love someone that I will assume is not going to love me back. But I can do it freely knowing that God loved me. And if I fear what that person will do versus following what God tells me to do, then I'm a slave and I'm not free. Now, again, there are people, and I don't, I don't ever encourage people to put themselves in an unsafe situation. Pray and ask God for wisdom and guidance, and God will give it to you. But love the people the way that God tells you to love them. And do it freely, knowing that you're free to do so. We don't initiate love with God. Remember, God loved us. It's not that we loved Him, it's that He loved us. We love Him because He proved His love for us. Verse 19, with love, we love Him because He first loved us. We have a proven love in God. He's already proved that He loved us. There, there is nothing that God can do um, to love us more. He already loves us fully. It's perfected love, completed love. All right? So we understand here that we don't initiate that love for, with God, uh, but He loved us. He proved it to us. And now we need to prove our love to other people. They ought to be able to see, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. How sad is it that Christians look across the aisle so many times and, and they don't think that that person loves them? And I'm telling you, we, we make up all these excuses. Well, my personality is, listen, I grew up uh, with Yankee parents and I grew up in a southern home. So I got a weird mixture of Yankee and South. All right. 
I grew up around um, politeness. I grew up around manners. Um, I grew up around the, the, those kinds of friendliness, I suppose. But then I went to college up north. And there's a different personality up north. Uh, there are nice, nice people up north, but there's, there's a very different. My wife's from Michigan. Michigan people are just different. I mean, uh, and California people are different. Arizona people are different. It doesn't matter where you go. They're different than wherever you grew up at. But there is this, I don't know, there's just not as, as an openness, I guess, in my experiences with most people up north. And, and you know, it's just, it's just weird. But, but then Christians will say, well, the reason why I don't talk to that person is because my personality. Well, I'm from wherever. Or the reason why I do this is because that's how I was raised. Or the reason why I act this way is because whatever. We make up all these excuses for why we don't do what God wants us to do. Your Christian brother or sister should know that you love them. They shouldn't have to wonder. They shouldn't have to guess. Um, and they should love you too, yes. But, but we can't control what they do, right? We can only control what we do. Because God loved me, I need to live a mirrored life of love and love other people. I don't need for them to initiate their love to me. I need to initiate my love to them as God did to me. And that's just the way it's supposed to be. We have an example of love in Jesus Christ, a mirrored life of love that I'm supposed to live. And let's close it out with an ultimatum of love. You cannot love God if you hate your brother. Verse number 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he hath loved not his brother whom he hath seen. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. You have an option, a choice, which is interesting because uh, pretty much all of the Christian life is a choice. And God says here very simply, if you say you love God, but you hate your Christian brother or sister, you're a liar. Now listen, we grew up, uh, at least I did, in a time of the common little chant, liar, liar, pants on fire, which really kind of takes down the impact of the word liar. God, including other things, in Revelation says liars have their place in a lake of fire. God doesn't like a liar. Maybe you heard your mom say, mom, mom doesn't like a liar. Uh, I don't know. God does not like liars. And if you're going to have that perfect fellowship with God, if you're going to have that perfect relationship with God, you have to love other people. And if you don't love other people, then you cannot love God properly. You will not love God properly. And he says here in verse number 20, if you say that you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? How many of you, by raise of hands, have seen in the flesh Jesus? All right, good. We don't have any liars here today. Good. Um, you haven't seen him. Now, I have experienced God. I have seen uh, God through creation. I've seen God through other people and their love for me. I've, I've experienced God in that way, but I've never physically, with my own eyes, seen God. And I won't until the day that I go to heaven. How can I love someone, I'll use the word, whom I have not seen if I can't love the person right in front of me? Now, 
my immediate argument to God is, well, God, you're a whole lot better than that person. Have you ever tried to argue with God? God, I know what you're saying. I, I get it. I, I do. I promise God I do. But, but, you know, I mean, honestly, you're saying, how, you know, how can I not love you? Or how can I love you and not love this person? Like, have you met this person? You know what? He has. And he died for that person. You see, God loves them. I'm supposed to love them. And if I don't love them, then I can't love God. And if I say I love God, but I don't love them, I'm a liar. And I cannot have that fellowship with God. And so he says here, you have an ultimatum. Love your brother and God, or don't. It's just like we cannot serve two masters, God and mammon. We have to choose. Choose the one. Am I going to serve God, or am I going to serve not God? It's the only options I have. Same is true with love. I'm either going to love God and people, or I'm not going to love either. Because I can't love God and not love you. And you can't love God and not love me. Ha ha, take that. Uh, you know, so, so you have to love me. You're stuck. I have to love you. You have to love each other. Why? Because I cannot love God if I don't love you. And he says in verse 21, this commandment have we from him, God, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Which is why when Jesus was cornered and tried to get caught by, by these religious people and they said, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, and then without, without taking a break, without waiting for another question, he says, and the second is like unto it. Very similar. Right up there with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now jump back to 1 John in the letter to Christians. He says, here's the commandment that you've been given. Love God and love your brother. It's right there with what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But the second's right there with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've been around people my whole life. Um, I was fortunate to grow up in a ministry where thousands of people would come through in three months' time. I got to meet a lot of people, um, experience a lot of different uh, uh, aspects of America with people coming from different states and different places. I had the opportunity to travel a lot as a kid as well, and we'd be in different states and different places. And, and I've been able just to see just the way that a wide variety of personalities, a wide variety of people, a wide variety of backgrounds. And I'll tell you, I think it's safe to say that there's a reason why God emphasized so much the importance of loving one another. Because there are so many churches today that are characterized by gossiping, backbiting, judgmental mindsets. And not too many churches that are characterized by love. And God says, you, the church, you say that you love me. But do you love each other? Because if you don't, you're a liar. You don't love me. Now, we're a small church. 
we all know each other pretty well. We've had opportunities to fellowship over lunches and activities and different things like that and moving buildings and doing all kinds of things. Do we love each other? I think we would all admit there are days that we don't. But how about on a regular basis? Can I at least put that out to you? How about on a regular basis? Now, if you, even for a short time, you need to get it right with God. But, uh, you know, we're, we, I say we're not allowed to use this as an excuse for humans. Um, so we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall. We're going to fail, whatever it may be. But how about on a regular basis? Do you love, do you love one another? And do they know it? <laughs> it's one thing to say, yeah, I love that person. Do they know it? Uh, how have you shown it? Well, I said good morning to him when he came in the door. Okay, That's a start. That's good. It's good that you didn't ignore him this week. Um, okay, what, what now? How do they know? And I appreciate so much. You all do a, a wonderful job of letting me and my family know that you love us. I thank you for that. And I hope that I do a good job of, of, of letting you know that we love you. How are we doing with each other? How does the person across the aisle, behind you, in front of you, do they know that you love them? How do you show that you love them? I'll tell you what, our nursery workers do a great job of showing love for the, the young families in our church. And we've got a small rotation of people that, that rotate through and, and help out. And, and, and I know there are days where, like, just like everybody else goes, I really don't want to be in the nursery. <laughs> but because they love, they do. And the people who clean the church... It's, it's an act of love. And mowing the grass, it's an act of love. Singing, it's an act of love. Teaching, it's an act of love. Every aspect of, of church uh, involvement is an act of love. So you're showing that you love God. You're showing that you love the church as a whole. Uh, but make sure you're showing each other that you love each other. Make sure you are loving each other. Make sure that we are loving each other because we cannot love God if we don't love each other. And this letter written to Christians tells us exactly that, point blank, no question about it. So, use the example of love that Christ gave us. Mirror that love in your life to others and understand you have an ultimatum. You get to pick. Are you or aren't you? Are you going to love each other and love God? Or are you going to be a liar? That's your choice. Lord, help us to love like we're supposed to love. You've given us the greatest example. Lord, you've proven to us time and time again that you love us. Lord, would you help us to love each other? Would you be able to uh, give us the strength, uh, Lord, give us the victory in our own lives over the, the, maybe our upbringing, our personality, uh, to overcome these things, to make sure that, that our brother and sister in Christ know that we love them. Lord, I believe that all of us desire to love and follow you, but oftentimes we fall short because we don't love each other. So God, help us. Help us this morning to love one another. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask you a couple questions before the piano plays. Question number one, if you're here this morning and we've talked about loving God, um, and we talked about how to be one another, how to be a brother or sister in Christ, and you've never, you've never become that. You've never asked God to save you. There's never been a moment in your life where you said, God, save me. 
and you're here this morning and you'd say, Preacher, please don't embarrass me and don't call me out, but I'd be okay if you prayed for me. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, I've never asked Jesus to save me. Would you pray for me, Preacher? Anybody like that this morning? Okay, then by, by what you're saying, by not raising your hand, is that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. And if that's the case, are you loving one another? Do you love the person next to you, the person in front of you, the person behind you, the person in the other room, the person who, who's preaching to you, the person? Do you love each other? Do we love one another? If God spoke to you this morning about the need to love better, and I just encourage you in just a moment, just go to God and ask Him to help you. Ask Him for forgiveness if you need it, and ask Him to help you move forward to have what you need, to be what you need to be, to love one another. Would you stand with me, please? The piano is going to play. The invitation is open. You can come to the front if you'd like. You can stay at your seat if you'd like. Um, but this morning, if God spoke to you, I ask you, would you just go to Him and seek His help? look this way. Uh, you know the song, Oh How I Love Jesus? If you don't, it's 183 in, in the songbook. But there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ears. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Let's just sing the first verse together. You ready? There is a name. <clears throat> there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the example you give us. Uh, may we leave here today loving each other better, I pray, and loving you better, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're back at 1 o'clock. If you can join us, sure love to have you. Uh, we, I love you. Thank you for being here this morning. Lord bless you. Let's be dismissed.